Coming up on this edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Uh, yeah, I mean that that was that's sort of my point is that I'm I'm not sure that the Bible um, mandates what we would now call family worship. It does mandate that the fathers, the parents, are to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But that can take place in a number of different ways. Uh, That doesn't necessarily, uh, at least it seems to me, it doesn't necessarily imply a stated time for every day where the family gathers, Scripture is read, expounded, praises to God are sung, and, and there are prayers. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I am your host, William Hill, and this is broadcast number 97. This is January 18th, 2016. And as many of you know, by now we're uh, doing somewhat of a buildup to uh, the Greenville uh, Seminary Spring Theology Conference that is offered annually uh, each year around March, mid-March, beginning of March, sometime in March, uh, we offer a a spring theology conference here in Greenville, South Carolina. And this year, the topic of discussion for for the conference is marriage, family, and sexuality. And I don't need to remind um, anyone, uh, really, of the importance of these subjects, especially in the United States, in the culture uh, that we're finding ourselves in, and the attacks that are coming in these areas. So uh, one of the things that we're doing on the podcast is we're um, doing a build up to that by interviewing various speakers that will be on the conference at the conference. And so today we're going to be talking with Dr. Ben Shaw. He's the professor of Old Testament here at Greenville Seminary. He's going to be speaking at the conference on the subject of family worship. And so we're going to be talking with him, not so much about the particulars of family worship so much. We'll probably deal with that in some sense. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about the 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 idea, the the subject of family worship, worship within the Reformed tradition. That's what his uh, topic will be at the conference, and so he's going to not give us his entire lecture, hopefully, but a summary or a wrap up of some nature, just kind of get you excited about the subject. And of course, knowing me, I will probably deviate into some strange uh, places along the way. But um, so that's on tap for today. Um, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Again, I want to remind everybody about the conference. It's March 8th through the 10th uh, here in Greenville, South Carolina. It's held at Woodworth Road Presbyterian Church, and, and typically every year that's uh, where we have the conference. And if you want to find out more information about the conference, there's numerous ways to do so. The easiest one is to go to the website at gpts.edu. There you can find out all the information about the conference, registration, cost, speakers, schedule, accommodations, the whole nine yards. Uh, if you want to call, uh, you can uh, call us at the seminary, and I should have the phone number here in front of me somewhere. I hope I know what it is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> what a shock. Uh, it's uh, – um, hold on a minute. What's the phone number here? 864 232 2717. 2717. Yeah. So, the good thing I have a guest in studio this afternoon. But you can call, and uh, somebody will um, speak with you. Um, if you have any questions. And you can always email us as well at info at gpts.edu, and that will help you um, get in the right, uh, get you in the right place if you have questions regarding the conference. Now, we're going to be talking with Dr. Ben Shaw. You've already heard his voice bailing me out 
uh, because I didn't have the phone number in front of me, which is, I never call it. So I should, I never, I just hit a button. <laughs> it's speed dial. I mean, it's, uh, anyway, uh, I don't know my own cell phone number. So, um, well, anyway, be that as it may, Dr. Shaw, it's good to have you on. Please help me <laughs> um, get me out of this corner that I've painted myself into. But it's good to have you on to talk about this subject. Now, did you do this family a topic at ETS by any yes, chance? Yes, I read, <clears throat> I read a version of this paper at the uh, National Meeting of Evangelical Theological Society back in November. Okay, so Dr. Shaw's done some work in this area, and um, so he's going to be speaking with us today about family worship in general, but specifically within the Reformed tradition. Why don't we just start with the easy question, and maybe I'll get to some hard ones or not uh, later on. But family worship, um, is that something that's been around um, you know, and historically in historic Christianity, or is it a relatively mm. new invention, new quote-unquote? No, no, I think it's been around uh, as long as the church has been around. Uh, the exact form that it's taken has probably varied quite a bit over the centuries, but, uh, you know, Christian parents pass on the Christian faith to their children in their daily instruction and daily interactions, and and to some extent, that's uh, that's what family worship is about. Right. Now, when we look at our climate, the, the topic uh, for the conference is, is one that's probably needed um, in our culture. And when we look at the larger uh, landscape within the church itself, and, and of course, this is your opinion, obviously, um, how do you think we're doing as a church promoting and, and, and teaching, instructing parents in this particular thing um, concept? I think in general, we're probably doing a fairly poor job yeah, in the sense that um, you know, I there have been a number of books published in the last, say, 10 or 15 years encouraging family worship. Most of them have been in the Reformed tradition, you know, conservative uh, Presbyterian and, uh, and uh, Continental Reformed folks, uh, although there is one that uh, by Don Whitney, who, if I uh, understand correctly, is a member of the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, and and the impression you get from all of these works is that it's not widely it's not widely talked about. It's not widely encouraged in the church, and so that makes you wonder how widely it's actually practiced in the church. Yeah, it, it, you made an interesting comment about um, the idea of, of family worship promoted within the Reformed tradition. Why why is that? Well, that really goes back to uh, the beginnings of the of the Reformation, or at least the Reformed part of the Reformation. You, you go back to the 16th century with Calvin and the other, what we now identify as as the Reformed uh, family coming out of the Reformation. That there's a real encouragement in family religion. Uh, that it and and more at first, more generally, just the importance of uh, parents teaching their children the basics of the faith and and uh, raise, you know, drawing from uh, Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6 about raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But I think what you see happening over that first half century or so following the, uh, you know, uh, uh, following Calvin is this development of a a more, uh, what shall we say, formal uh, idea, you know, we can take uh, 
children or fathers uh, raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord could be a fairly informal kind of thing. And if you look at Deuteronomy 6, that in itself, uh, there's not really a formal uh, way of doing that laid out uh, in the scriptures. And what you see developing in that, you know, the latter part of the 16th century is, especially in the, uh, in the Reformed camp, is this more formal approach uh, to family religion. And so by the time you get to the uh, Westminster Confession, there's already been some some treatises done, some sermons preached on a on a formal approach uh, to family religion that really is family worship, where the family uh, is encouraged to morning and evening have a time of uh, scripture reading and exposition, prayer and praise. Mm-hmm. Morning and morning and evening. Yes. Well, boy, I, I read that. I think it's in the directory for family worship, but I'm not sure. Yes, um, yes it is. And I and I remember reading that, and I thought, boy, I I, I struggle as a dad just to do any time, morning or evening. Right. You know, it'd be nice if they said morning or evening, not morning <laughs> and evening. Um, but why why is this subject important? It's it, you, you've indicated that it's probably not widely practiced um, for a number of probably a number of reasons, and that's not meant to be a pot shot. It's just it's w- just a fact. Yeah, it's just a fact. And well, I, I you know why should we do it? Is uh, it, it's a means of strengthening our faith, not only for the children uh, who are receiving instruction for their from their parents, but also for the parents themselves. Uh, you know the the family worship as it's envisioned in something like the directory for family worship that was uh, approved by the general assembly of the church of scotland in 1647 uh, a father who's going to lead his household in family worship has to do a fair amount of preparation he's got to have read the passages uh, the the passage or passage over mm-hmm. uh, beforehand he's had to think about it and to develop some application from it maybe make use of some resources, uh, commentaries, and that kind of thing, the confession and catechisms. Uh, And so that is a a sure way to strengthen his own understanding of the faith and his own practice of the faith. And in our culture today, and and I can only speak speak for myself on this particular point, as a dad, I, I, I often wrestled with doing it faithfully and and it wasn't always because of laziness though it probably was mostly because of that um with the demands that are placed on the times uh, households with dual incomes now and parents going 100 miles an hour in 12 different directions what's the solution i mean if it's that important and if we don't do it we lose our kids or we could potentially um how do you solve those practical dilemmas well, in your opinion yeah I, I think you know if you look back at the at the period of the Westminster confession for example uh, you have a an agricultural society mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, most families are tied to the household uh, and so uh, and and work is associated with the house uh, you know whether you're a shepherd or a farmer or uh, you know a potter or whatever, your work is being done close to the house, so the family is all close to the house, and it's a relatively easy 
matter to gather the the members of the family and and in those days that would include servants as well right it's relatively easy to get them all together for a couple of stated times a day uh, that's not our culture no. uh, uh, you know dad uh, uh, commutes to work mom maybe commutes to work and um, and so I, I the uh, going back to uh, James Alexander who was uh, one of the uh, Princeton Alexanders, he pastor of a Presbyterian church in New York City for most of his career, although he did teach occasionally at Princeton at Princeton Seminary. Uh, his encouragement is to have a stated time each day, uh, and so that the members of the family know that you know each day at whatever time you know. 7 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the evening, whatever time, this is when we will meet for family worship. This is when we will exp- will be expected to be there. And so people can, you know, families in that case can sort of set their plans. Like this is when, this, this is important to us as a family, and this is when we do it and we're all there. Yeah, it's really important. That's something we try to do now um, my wife and I and uh, a student who um, lives with us, a student of the seminary, um, we have a time, but that doesn't always work every every single day, but generally speaking. But you're right, I think with the Industrial Revolution, uh, the father's getting yanked off, uh, off to work and wherever, um, created some of this, um, this vacuum in this area. But that doesn't excuse the reality that we ought to be doing this, but but it, it, it causes me to ask a question and it, through the history of it, especially in the Scottish church when the Westminster Standards were adopted, I think they actually made it a chargeable offense against the Father if they did not do family worship. No, I'm not sure about that. I'd, I'd have to check on that. I, mean, I, I wonder biblically from the rationale, you know, is it... What's the biblical warrant for it? Well, we can glean Deuteronomy six and apply that to almost anything. Well, yeah, I mean that that was that's sort of my point is that I'm I'm not sure that the Bible um, mandates what we would now call family worship. It does mandate that the fathers, the parents, are to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but that can take place. In a number of different ways, uh, that doesn't necessarily—at uh, least it seems to me—it doesn't necessarily imply a stated time for every day where the family gathers, scripture is read, expounded, praises to God are sung, and and there are prayers. That—that uh, uh, that can happen in a number of different. That kind of thing can happen and take place in a number of different ways, and so. I'm a little uncomfortable saying that Scripture mandates family worship. I think it's a helpful way of approaching the idea of fathers raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but uh, it's not the only way. And if a family is doing family worship, that doesn't absolve them, that doesn't absolve the parents, for example, of correcting their children, speaking to their children, praying with and for their children at other times of the day. Sure, sure. 
Now, the focus of your paper you did with ETS, and I believe, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, the focus of what you're going to be doing at the Spring Theology Conference is going to be more looking at this from a historical development. Is that right? Right. Okay, so let's, for simplicity's sake, you, you had given me a draft of something you had done um, earlier on, I think it was at ETS right. last year. So you've already mentioned James Alexander. I think that's one of the books that most um, people run to almost initially for uh, this subject, Thoughts on Family Worship. I think you've mentioned that mm -hmm. already. But how did how did the idea of family worship evolve? I mean, I, I used that word. I was going to yell that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's like I'm not going to let the, the atheist hijack a good word. Okay? Right. So um, how did it develop? There, there's a better word. How did it develop over the... Uh, over our re within our Reformed tradition? Uh, that's a really difficult question to answer uh, because what we, what we don't have mm -hmm. is a history of family worship. What we have is anecdotes, uh, sermons, diaries, um, you know, meditations on the whole subject of family worship. Obviously, uh, some people, uh, pastors and theologians in particular, were concerned about the uh, members of their churches raising their children properly um, and seeing then uh, family worship as a way uh, to do that. I think to some extent, um, probably the Reformation itself was part of the development of family worship uh, because the one of the key elements of the Reformation is the increase in literacy and the well, and as a result of the invention of the printing press mm -hmm. and the wide dissemination of, of printed literature. Yep. Uh, and before the uh, period of the Reformation, uh, literacy in Europe was very low, and so, you know, and and before that as well, Bibles tended to be very expensive. Before the invention of the printing press, they were all hand done, uh, for the most part. At least those that were acceptable to the church were in Latin. Most people didn't read Latin, and they didn't read their own native language, let alone reading Latin. Right, and so. What we conceive of now as family worship, with the reading of the scriptures and exposition from them, I, I don't. I don't think was in a certain sense was even possible uh, before the advent of the printing press. Um, I think to the extent that it took place, it was probably parents, uh, faithful parents, sitting down with their children, going over the scripture lessons that had been heard in the in the uh, in the Sunday services, reminding them of the truths of the basic truths of the gospel. Uh, one of the first things that that happened with the with the Reformation was the writing of catechisms. Mm -hmm. Luther had a catechism, uh, Zwingli had a catechism. I, you know, there was the Geneva Catechism, and these are ways that the adults had of training the children in the basic truths of of religion. I I think it you know it, it it's just a matter of over time, people asking themselves, well, how can we help families? do this? How can we help families? You know, what kinds of practical things can we do to help families teach their children well? 
and I think you know the the idea of of family worship sort of grows out of that. It's a it's a practical response to a need in the church. Yep. For for those who are listening live and and wondered what I asked Dr. Shaw because I had muted myself. <laughs> And how do I how I do that is well never mind it doesn't matter, um, I did so you probably didn't hear, hear the question um, or maybe very faintly the question was basically how did family worship evolve and we chuckled about the use of that term but how with the development and that's what we're talking about we're talking about the development since the Protestant Reformation and we're going to move into the 17th 18th century and so that was the question um, so you have context as to what Dr Shaw just said. It, in the paper, you, you, you did that. You, you, you kind of give it a, a, a summation, really, an introductory comments related to the idea of family worship. And then you, then you un- started to unfold from, uh, from looking at the subject from, from the various perspectives of the, of the century, starting with the 17th. And right. interestingly, in your, in your paper here that you gave me um, uh, in preparation for this, is that you mentioned that the, uh, in the Epistle to the Christian Reader, that emphasizes three things related to this subject. And, and maybe that would be good to uh, talk about a little bit, um, keeping in mind everything you just said, um, mm-hmm. because now we're in the 17th century, the printing press is obviously in full swing, has been in full swing for a while now, and um, Bibles are a little more accessible at this point. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, the the uh, the epistle to the Christian reader, which is, uh, or at least at the time, was commonly printed with editions of the Westminster Confession and Catechisms, uh, really emphasizes three things. Uh, first, that it's essential for the head of the household to be well instructed to the faith in the faith, so that you know our expectation, the the uh, divines are saying, and the pastors at the time are saying, our expectation is that you as Christian men need to be well instructed in the faith. You need to know what you believe. Second, you as a Christian husband and father are responsible for the religious instruction of those in your household. And that, of course, in those days, that would include not only children, but it would include servants as well, because most most houses had at least one or two servants. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, uh, the epistle recommends, look, if you're looking for help in, in uh, teaching your family the Christian faith, look at the Westminster Standards and some of the other documents that, that were at that time commonly printed with them, such as the Directory for Family Worship, uh, the Sum of Saving Knowledge, and uh, the, um, uh, one of the Scottish Presbyterian churches keeps in print an edition of the Confession and Catechisms that has a number of other uh, of these materials bound with it. I think that was fairly common and uh, commonly available in the 17th century. Yeah, and, and I, I think I know which one you're referring to, and it does have those. And I would encourage parents, if you have never read the Directory for Family Worship, then you ought to read it. I mean, it's uh, extremely helpful um, and, and, and gives some guidance in an area that I think where I've often said that most fathers probably desire to do it, um, are afraid, don't know how, don't know where to start. Um, and, you know, and, and, and we've had other men on to talk about the subject before, and we're not going to rehash all that, but I think part of the problem oftentimes is just uh, you know, realizing that you don't have to be a theologian uh, to lead your family in family worship. 
Right. And the director right. of family worship is very helpful in this area. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, you know, keep it, you know, someone used to tell me, keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. we've all been uh, uh, introduced to that theory more yeah. than once in life. And anyway, um, so, okay, so so the 17th century we had that. And then in the 18th century, um, it began to even develop even further. And Matthew Henry, I think, is the mover and shaker here, mm-hmm. um, at least as you have laid it out. So yeah, tell, tell me about Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry um, preached a sermon uh, that was uh, what was his title? He got a church in the house hmm. or family religion. Uh, it was a sermon that he preached and was later republished uh, as a tract. Uh, I suspect it was probably reprinted frequently in the 18th and 19th centuries. It's still available online, uh, although I don't know of any current printing of it, but. It's a um, treatise not just on family worship, but um, dealing with the whole idea of the family as a little church. And so the, uh, the head of the household is sort of equivalent to or analogous to the pastor of the church. And so... He's responsible for the family doctrine. He's responsible for family worship. He's responsible for family discipline uh, in much the same way that a pastor in session or the session would be responsible for the church's doctrine, the church's worship, and the church's discipline. And, and, and so Henry, in the course of that sermon that later became a tract, really lays that that and so it deals with much more than family worship. What do you think about that? And 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 I'm I do have something in mind. I know where I'm going with my question. But what do you think of that position? That the, well, the, pa- the father becomes like the family priest or the family pastor. I I think in general that Henry is right about that, but it's very easy to overdo uh, and and we and it would be easy to move into a um, a sort of mindset in which the family is a church mm-hmm. all to its all to itself and therefore the church becomes unnecessary and, and the reason I asked that question is because as you well know, um, you know, we, have, we in, in recent years we've had the patriarchy movement mm-hmm. that has infected, and I use that word ex- precisely, uh, infected the church um, mm-hmm. with this concept that the church, that the family, is sort of this own entity of itself, and you know that, and and um, and I'm sure that's not what Matthew Henry had in mind when he wrote that. No, it, it's one of the things that's really clear in the literature on family worship from the 17th century on is family worship does not take the place of the church. The family does not take the place of the church. There's always in these discussions, um, you know, for example, um, uh, even the directory for family worship forbids families doing this together where you get several families together for uh, daily family worship because that would be uh, an undercutting of the authority of the church. And so there's in all of these, 
there's a real recognition that the church uh, that the, the that the church has a greater responsibility than the head of the of the household does and that the families themselves are to look to the church for the faithful preaching of the word of god for the faithful instruction uh in the faith and for uh the the carrying out the discipline of the church those are things that only in a subsidiary way uh, are they the role of the family yep and, and and this of course as, as i've indicated has been a big debate um you know the question of government you know the church government the family government you know the self-government all these different aspects and patriarchy movement then home churching you know they they mm-hmm. it's sort of the good idea run amok mm-hmm. and 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 begins to confuse the lines and and that have been established you know, the, what the church is there for what its responsibility is what the family is there for what its responsibility is and not seeing them as feeding one another but seeing them more like um um you know, completely separate entities on themselves, and they're right. really not. I mean, you know, it's, it takes a healthy family in churches to grow a healthy church. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it takes a healthy church to help edify and encourage families to do what they're supposed to be doing. So, right. they work together; they don't work separate or apart from one another. But yeah, I don't know why I got on that, but I think something you said about Matthew Henry made me think of that movement, sure. and I've been affiliated with it, not personally, individually, because I believe in it, but. I know people who have, mm-hmm. who have left the church altogether, um, won't join a, a local the institutionalized church. That's the word they use, and and now if home church and the father becomes the family pastor, right. and and well in this case the pastor, and now it's you know completely dis- disjointed, uh, disconnected from the, the way the church was set up by the Lord Jesus Christ, and um, so we're not talking about that. No, obviously, and I don't think Matthew Henry was either. No, in fact, he, he, if it, it, he wouldn't even know what yeah. I'm talking about yeah, if he were here, he'd be like, "What?" Yeah. It, it's pretty clear. It's Absolutely. Pretty clear. Now, in the 19th century, we've already talked about James Alexander, and he's been um, touted by some as uh, have written uh, the you know, the really the 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 the, the main book, um, which really goes through some of the history of so, that some others have done. But James Alexander gets into an area that I think would be helpful for the listeners because it's extremely practical. And and you mentioned this in your paper that about two-thirds of the way through the book, Alexander uh, moves into the how-tos of all this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. First, um, uh, as, far as, family, as far as Alexander is concerned, family worship should involve the whole household. And, of course, in those days, um, and, and to uh, – uh, the folks that that Alexander was writing to that would have included servants and any servants in the household would have been included uh, in family worship. Um, second, as we we talked about earlier about having it at fixed times so that everybody knows when family worship is, you know, fixed times so that the servants can say, "Ah, it's time for family worship. We can set aside doing our other duties." Because we have to attend on on family worship, children, uh, we can set aside playtime. We can set aside study time because now is the time uh, for family worship. Uh, and and again, people sometimes read these treatises as if they're laying down laws. Mm-hmm. This is how you must do it. Uh, that's not Alexander's purpose. That's not Matthew Henry's purpose. They are giving suggestions for a way of doing family worship uh, 
in which so that you can so that it can be done consistently uh, and would and would continue to be helpful. Uh, so uh, stated times, and again, Henry is just or, or uh, Alexander is really assuming morning and evening uh, times. Uh, and as to the length, uh, you know, one of the things that sort of creeps up in the literature, you get the impression uh, that in in any number of cases, family worship became a very extended time, so that you'd you'd spend as much time twice a day in family worship as you spent in public worship on the Sunday. Uh, Henry even made a comment. Um, to the effect, you need not be long in the service, but you ought to be lively in it. Uh, and Alexander says, um, uh, Alexander just advocates for something shorter yep. than the tradition. Uh, and so, again, one gets the impression that at least in some households, family worship became something of a burden yeah. Uh, to the family just due to the extended time devoted to it. Yeah, I laugh um, as you're talking about that because some of the mistakes I made as a dad, and, and so I pass on my blunders as a father to you younger fathers who uh, may be tempted to blunder just like me and don't. Um, that was my mistake. I, I, I wanted to turn it into a mini worship mini church service and have a apostles creed and and go through it was ridiculous i mean i look back on it and i'm embarrassed at the 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 the, the, the way i taxed my my poor children and 45 minute family worship sessions or an hour long you know and it and if I could do it back and do it again i would definitely do it very differently yeah. i would be short um read a chapter in the bible talk about it a little bit and um pray with them and and good night um, mm-hmm. And as they got older, maybe have more extended discussion. But I think I exasperated my kids, and mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, and, and then this comes with a warning. And I say this with with um, uh, passion, uh, but experience. Uh, you can exasperate your kids in family worship to the point where they hate the Bible. They don't want to be around it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to drive them out. Um, so draw them in. Keep it short. Uh, you know, Dr. Shaw t- tells the students all the time in class, you know, more is less, or less is more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you're reviewing Hebrew, 15 minutes a day is a lot better than five hours on a Friday. Um, you know, so um, this is one of those places, I think, where shorter is better, and as they get older. Yeah, um, yeah and, and I think also, and this is one of the things that Alexander talks about, is getting the children involved as they are able. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, let them read the scripture passage. Yeah. Let them encourage them to ask questions. Encourage them uh, to contribute in the time of prayer. Have them singing along with the so that again it doesn't become daddy's putting on a show for us or daddy's doing the lesson for us. Yeah. Rather, this is something that we do together. Yep. Yeah. I, I remember witnessing a graduate of the seminary. Um, really. Um, Put me to shame, to be honest. He uh, was was staying with us, and um, he has five girls, and um, he would do. He was staying with us for like four or five days, and during the conference, one of the conferences, mm-hmm. and every night they would, or morning, uh, depended, uh, they would do family worship, whether we were there or not. And I remember witnessing one time him doing it. And it was just, it was basically like that. He's got young girls, and he would read. Uh, slowly and and, and carefully, uh, a section of uh, a chapter, 
And then he would just ask the girls, uh, go around each one and say, what, what did you hear Daddy read? Mm-hmm. And just look for some information from them to say, I was listening to you. Yeah. I mean, it's very simple. And, yeah. and it, he would talk a little bit about it, brief, and then pray. Right. And I thought, you know, that's what I should yeah, that's what I should have done. Okay, so um, so Alexander does a good job of giving the how-tos. He gets into the psalmody. He mentions psalmody. We weren't going to go there uh, today and, and discuss that. But singing... Um, Again, you know, we, we, he's not making law, and I certainly am not musically inclined. Mm-hmm. You are. Um, you would be more inclined to sing in family worship. I'm less inclined to sing in family <laughs> worship. Yeah. Um, but that's an important element. Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, you know, and, and we now live in an age when uh, you can find online hymn tunes played for you yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that even if you're not particularly musically inclined, you can look up a hymn and and look it up online and, and just hit the uh, play and repeat button, and, and you can sing the four or five verses or the two or three verses uh, of the hymn. But it, it's also, um, you know, uh, part, of, part of how we learn the faith is in what we sing. Mm. Uh, and so I, I think in that sense, you, you know, you don't have to sing three hymns. Uh, you know. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't have to sing every hymn, every uh, stanza of every hymn in family worship. I mean, if you don't do no. that in church, you know, it's yeah. almost. But, but I, I will say this: if you sing "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God," you can't stop at the end of the first verse. No, absolutely not. But uh, but other than uh, other than that, you don't have to sing every verse of every uh, of the hymn. Um, but and you don't have to do multiple hymns right. but uh but helping your children to learn the great hymns of the faith helping them to learn to, to sing the psalms those things are important they're part of mm. because it helps them then to become more active in in, in, in public worship yep. Yep. because now oh we know these songs right. i remember when i was a kid uh in Sunday school, um, uh, when I was first or second grade, hmm. our Sunday school teachers would every month, they for four weeks they would work us through a hymn, you know, one of the hymns that uh, that was known in the church. And so then, when we went to worship and they sang that hymn, we knew it, yeah. and 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 it it gave us a sense. Of real participation yep. in the worship that we we didn't have otherwise. Yeah, that, and it's a great point um, that Doctor Shaw's making. And um, yeah, yeah, as just think of yourself as a, when you're a young child, and all of a sudden now it's like, oh, I know that hymn, and I can participate. And in, in, yeah. in the value of music and the strength of music, I had a um, a, a lady say to me recently um, that uh, I'm encouraging her to memorize a shorter catechism, and she said, "Well, if it was put to music, I'd be." Be able to do it a whole lot better, right? Yeah, <laughs> but that's yeah. the power of music. Yeah, and um, so that's well said, and it's really important. It's something that I'm just I can't I can't hold a tune to save my life. Mm-hmm. But uh, so let's fast forward. Twentieth century, we mm-hmm. we have the Press Train Board of Publication, 1916, puts out a book of family worship. Yeah, uh, I mean, how would, at this point, how is it different than what has been done? Um, at this point, it's really a handbook for how to do it. Uh, it gives mm. it gives people helps 
so that there's a reading, a, a scripture reading schedule, morning and evening readings. You know, again, notice that it's it's assuming morning and evening family worship. Yeah. Uh, but morning and evening readings um, over the cor- uh, uh, on a yearly schedule over the course of a year, you get through most of the Bible, uh, but the readings are reasonably brief. And then they've got an extended collection of prayers. And these prayers are mostly about a paragraph long, not a long paragraph. Uh, and I think they're intended to be more suggestive uh, than they are, you know, well, let's recite this, let's recite this prayer now. It's more uh, because, um, you know, let, let's face it, uh, I think most pe- most Christians – think that they're not good at praying. And most fathers, most mothers probably feel like, you know, praying in front of my kids, I you know, I can pray with them when they go to bed at night, but for family worship, you know, I'm just not that good. And and these prayers are, in a certain sense, like a lot of the prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. They're very well thought out. Uh, they're very well written. Uh, and so they can provide... Uh, a starting point for the family's own prayers. Sure. And, that, and th- those prayers actually make up the bulk of the book. So the, at this point, we're getting a lot of how-tos. But then in the 21st century, and as you've noted earlier in our discussion, that you know we're, we're pulling back away from this. So there was an apex and really a pinnacle of the idea of family worship. Probably families were, were more involved in it. Uh, than we now currently see in the 21st century. And as a result, more materials come out, again, highlighting the history, its value, and the how-tos. And mm-hmm. Dr. Beakey, who will be at the conference, is obviously a leading uh, writer in this particular area. Especially, uh, he strongly encouraged family worship and, and for some of the reasons we've already talked about um, mm-hmm. now. But how how does the 21st century look in comparison to its previous history in this well, area? I- it's hard to say because, uh, again, uh, we don't have data uh, showing us how widely uh, uh, family worship was practiced or how consistently it was practiced. Um, uh, we tend to think that we live in a decadent age, uh, and yet um, if any of you have watched uh, just as an example, Downton Abbey, uh, you know, that was a century ago. And for the most part, that's a fairly accurate portrayal of what in, what the upper crust life would have been like in, in the U.K. in the 19-teens uh, and 1920s. And it's a, it was a fairly decadent age. Now, the one thing I would say about that is that the family would have been more religiously active mm-hmm. than what is than what you see on that show. Uh, even if they didn't much believe, they would have been regular attenders at the local at the local parish church, and there would have been at least a uh, a grace said before meals and that kind of thing. Um, but what I so I I don't know how. Our current practice compares to earlier generations. I do know that I th- that there are a lot more helps available now uh, than there were, say, a century ago. Yeah. 
um, Joel Beakey's little book on family worship, uh, Terry Johnson, uh, his book, uh, The Family Worship Book, he subtitles something like a resource for family worship. Um, Jason Halopoulos's book, a, Na- a Neglected Grace, Family Worship in Your Home. Um, and yeah, we, in- we interviewed him on, on this program, okay, yeah. on that book, so... Yeah. Oh, good, good. And and so there's there are just a lot of resources available, um, you know. And the one that I highlighted in the paper as I read it at ETS was the Reformation Heritage Study Bible mm-hmm. uh, that's been pub, uh, published by uh, Joel Beakey's group. And that the the one thing that I really like about that is, uh, you know, study Bibles all have notes and and. Um, some of them are better than others. But the one thing I like about the Reformation Heritage Study Bible is that on each chapter of the Bible, there are, um, uh, you know, the, the notes in this study Bible are focus on personal and family piety. And then on each chapter of the Bible, there is a, uh, there's a section in the notes uh, that sub that's titled thoughts for F- personal or family worship uh and so for you know for for the for the not well educated christian father not well educated christian mother there's practical okay so this morning we read jeremiah chapter 3 there's a couple of paragraphs there that draw out some application for family worship, some things to think about related to that passage. Yeah, so this is, a, in some sense, an advertisement for the Reformation study. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. study, but but you know, it's 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 helpful. I, I, as I alluded to earlier, um, some fathers, I, I you know, I'm trying to be charitable that they're just not being lazy about this subject. Um, but some many uh, fathers are just afraid. Uh, Feel, looking silly in front of their kids or their wife, and, and none of us like to look silly in in front of anybody, uh, let alone our our wives or our kids. And and so they don't know what to do, and they just need help. And mm-hmm. so that's a great resource. It's Reformation Heritage KJV Study Bible. Um, if you're wondering what what we're talking about, um, and you're driving down the road and can't take notes, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, take a look at that if you're struggling with that. Um, mm-hmm. Matthew Henry's commentary will give you some great fodder yeah. for discussion in families, uh, yeah. and there's other things. And there's, uh, you know, uh, Terry Johnson's uh, family worship book. There are a, a lot of resources uh, in there, both in the book itself and then other works that he directs your attention to in that. So, again, it's um, there are plenty of resources and so for the the family that is interested in beginning family worship or has tried it and it just didn't work uh, I would suggest you know don't be afraid to use resources don't be afraid to to make use of some of these things that are available these days and and recognize that family worship is just like private worship you're not going to have a um, uh, a uh, a beautiful spiritual experience every time you do family worship. Sometimes it's going to feel like you're going through the motions, but uh, as as we 
as we do these things in obedience to Christ, you know, we're, we're looking to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're looking to raise our children, teach them the faith. Um, as we're faithful to do that, even it, it's amazing uh, what kids remember. Kids often don't remember the things we think they're going to remember. Right. Uh, and and what they what they will remember is if you're you know I, I, I remember a number of years ago I was I was uh, with a young couple and they had a child who was uh, their first child. I, I think he was maybe a year, year and a half. Well they after the evening meal, they had family worship and they included, this year, year and a half old child in the family worship, you know, we're going to pray now, you know, we're going to read the scriptures now. Now, yeah, I have no idea how much that kid comprehended, uh, but they didn't make it long. It wasn't onerous. And I'm sure what that kid learned and what his brothers and sisters learned later on was, A, this is important to mommy and daddy. And B, just seeing his parents do this consistently, day in, day out, you know, this is something that's important. This is something that counts. Uh, and I, I think if, if you know, we, you see a lot on the Internet these days lamenting children who are leaving the church. They grow up, they go away to college, and, and they lose their connection with the church. Uh, I suspect that that doesn't happen as much with families where family worship has been consistently carried out in a not burdensome fashion. Mm-hmm. So, no, that's that's well said, and you really made it easy for me to end it because uh, I, I can't think of a better way to end it. It's an admonition, in some sense, to you dads out there um, and who are not doing it and know better. And, uh, uh, and to those dads who are struggling with it, to be encouraged to continue doing it, as Dr. Shaw said, it, you know, you're not going to have uh, you know, the great revival of uh, the first great awakening every single time you have family worship. Uh, you may have those experiences, which are great and wonderful, but at the end of the day, it's a consistent fact, a consistency that, that helps drive this home to your kids as they grow. Um, and so... You know, it's really important as we tied that to the subject of the conference, and, and this is really, really where mm-hmm. I wanted to end it. Anyway, um, the relationship is 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 critical. We look at our culture. You mentioned the internet and people lamenting mm-hmm. kids leaving the church, but just in general, the behavior of children in the church, mm-hmm. and as well as out of the church. But um, we see our culture eroding at this level, not because we're not doing family worship. Okay, there's a whole lot of other reasons. Yeah. I guarantee it. But, but this may be a piece of it, even if it's a small piece that we're just dropping the ball on, and, it's, and we don't have to. Yeah. Uh, we can make the time. And so, how? So I'm going to punt to you on this one okay. and ask you: uh, Show me the connection between what you're going to do at the conference and the issue of. Our culture, marriage, family, and sexuality, as the conference is titled. Well, I you stump know, the I, professor. I, yeah, time. It, I, it, I get to stump the professor it, for it, once. It, it's really just the idea of. I, I mean, my my real purpose here is just encouraging men 
uh, and women. Um, you know, we have an increasing number. We have yep. uh, churches where you've got a lot of single parent families, yep. and and moms can feel as inadequate in this area as any dads do. Sure. Uh, and to let them know there's help available. There's plenty of resources. It doesn't have to be. Uh, um, a number of years ago, the seminary published a book, Worship in the Presence of God, that was a collection of essays on various things related to worship. And uh, a number of good essays in the book, uh, but the one that, that struck me most and has, has sort of hung with me most was one by uh, Doug Kelly, who's, uh, uh, taught, who's taught uh, theology at, at Reform Seminary in Charlotte for uh, – quite a while. I think he's retiring at the end of this year. But he's got a, a uh, an essay on family worship in there that, you know, do it. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be profound. Just do it and do it consistently. Uh, and, and, and I think that in itself, you know, it, letting people know that it's not, it's not that hard. Uh, we we can if we've not done it before and start thinking about it. We think, oh man, I'm not equipped for this. Well, if, if you're a Christian, you're and, right. You're not. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But if you're a Christian and you want to see your children grow in the Lord, you know, this is something you really want to do. This is something you you want to encourage them. Um, and Family worship is a great way to do it, but you know, if, if nothing else, that you would pray with them daily, that they would see you reading your Bible, that you would read your Bible with them and and answer their questions uh, regarding the Bible, it makes it clear to them that this is that being a Christian isn't just mm-hmm. church on Sunday, All right? So, yeah, great words. And we have a listener that's listening live. And, and for those of you who don't know, we are doing more live broadcasts now. We're not going to do all of them that way, um, but um, we're going to do some. Uh, and, and you can get that information on our website. But one listener who's listening to you live said that your comments about the KJV Study Bible from Reformation, they just bought it. They said oh, your yeah. comments are spot on. Yeah. <laughs> Good so, to know. And then, Good and then know. also, uh, mentioned that they're coming to the conference very much yeah, looking good, forward to you good. and dr beaky speaking on this uh, on this subject of marriage and family sexuality yeah. so um be encouraged by that um it's nice to hear from listeners uh in in that way um and and so forth so dr shaw it's great to have you on and and talk about this um uh, important subject uh, I, I think you have the balance in in play uh, when it comes to this and uh, but it's a great tool mm-hmm. uh, to use to help nurture our children in the, in, and grow them, raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I mean, in the Presbyterian tradition, you take vows to that extent, and this is yeah. just one means by which you can do it. Um, yeah. It's not perfect uh, in every case, but uh, um, make the time, look at your schedule, sit down with husbands and wives, talk about when you can actually make this work. I mean, right. if you just have these discussions and, and keep talking, it usually plays itself yeah. out naturally. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to me. Families uh, in these days can find time to make sure that their kids make it to soccer practice or basketball practice you or... Had, you had to go there. Uh, but <laughs> can, can we please make sure that we train our children up in the Lord? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, and well, I'm not going to say any more. I, I could say a lot more about this <laughs> and... 
And I think you'll hear more about this at the conference. And so come to the conference. It, it, you know, Dr. Piper did a 45-minute long infomercial. I, I don't like to use that word, but that's been released. You can listen to that in the archives uh, about the conference. We went right through it, and we had a great discussion, some tangential discussions, but relevant anyway to some in, some extent about this conference. I mean, look at our culture. Uh, I mean, you don't have to pay much attention. You know, you get on Facebook, you see quite a bit of it. And if you watch the news, you see a lot more. And you know, look at the stuff that's on TV, and it just goes on and on. And it's just we're losing our kids. Uh, we're losing the family unit. I mean, with transgender, transgender, yeah. and uh, the 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 issue. Well, the whole redefinition of what family is. That's right. Yeah. You, know, you know, with homosexual marriage, all this business that's attacking the, the foundations of what God ordered, all the way back in Genesis. Um, are we shocked about what's happening? Um, yeah. And the church needs to get out in front of it. And so um, this this conference is going to speak to many of those issues, uh, family worship being just one piece mm-hmm. uh, of many other things. And so on the podcast, we're highlighting some of these things. If you haven't been paying attention, that's what we're doing. And so let me just quickly tell you what we're going to be doing, if I can get the right webpage in front of me. Here it is. Um, so obviously those listening live have heard this already, but this will be released on January 22nd, this particular podcast. But uh, coming up after uh, Dr. Shaw will be Dr. Rick Phillips. He'll come on uh, again. That'll be live broadcast as well tomorrow, but uh, it'll be released on January 29th. Um, And he's going to talk about courtship and marriage, a hot topic, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, courtship's the only way, uh, dating's, you know, okay. We're going to deal with all those issues. So I will ask him those questions. And, And I've had Dr. Phillips on before, and I guarantee you he will not be lacking for an answer. Uh, and it's always high energy, and I love it because uh, he does all the talking. And I just sit here and watch and, and learn. So, um, so that'll, he's coming up, and then Dr. Joel Beakey will be on the program to talk about his conference lecture, um, Nurturing Sexual Intimacy in Marriage. And then Dr. McGraw will be on to talk about his kind of a historical look at John Owen uh, because it is the 400th anniversary of, of John Owen. So um, that's just a highlight of what's coming up on the program. I have more lined up. Go to the website, confessingourhope.com. All of the information was recently updated uh, just a couple days ago. So um, you can get all the information there as well as past episodes and, uh, and whatever else uh, I choose to put up on the website. So confessingourhope.com is the place to go. So until next time, for those listening live and do like to listen live, that'll be tomorrow, 10 o'clock in the morning eastern time um if you're listening to the podcast then you'll just have to wait a week for the next one to come out um but be that as it may uh, until then we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of confessing our hope the podcast of greenville presbyterian theological seminary and god bless you